Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. Ready for a big weekend as the Texans concluded their offseason practices this week and look forward to training camp, which gets started in late July, of course, and it can't come soon enough. Players on a break, but nobody really takes a break. They're working out constantly. They know that they can't afford to lose the kind of conditioning that they gained over the past several weeks at NRG Park and wherever else they've been working out. Of course, preseason games get started in August with the Green Bay trip and August 28th with the first home preseason game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So tonight, let's talk a little bit with Robert Prince, new wide receivers coach. Then we'll visit with Mike Keith, voice of the Tennessee Titans, a deep dive into their situation. Man, so much going on in Nashville this offseason. And D.P. Sidhu in the Deep Slant interview, which you need to be paying attention to online or wherever you can get it, YouTube. She'll catch up with John Grenard, former outside linebacker, now defensive lineman. We'll find out how that position change is going as the Texans move to more of a 4-3 kind of thing. I know they played a bunch of 4-3 type of defensive looks last season under Romeo Cornell, but Lovey Smith brings his system here. All right, speaking of assistant coaches like Lovey, well, here's Robert Prince. Robert Prince, wide receivers coach, and he joins the list of wide receivers coaches in Texans history. I'm not going to go through them all, but remember, Kippy Brown was the very first one. Eventually, Kyle Shanahan comes in with Gary Kubiak. People forget he was a wide receivers coach here before he became offensive coordinator and started the rest of his career with his dad in Washington, and now you know the rest. He's in San Francisco as the head coach there. And also John Perry, of course, and Larry Kirksey after Shanahan and the Kubiak regime. Larry is a head coach in this spring league you've been seeing on Fox Sports 1. And I don't know if they show it on the big Fox channel or not, but it's kind of fun to watch some spring football no matter how you slice it. Let's get to Robert Prince here, who was born in Japan and has coached a lot of places. Like a lot of guys who have been around a long time, he's coached a lot of places. The Detroit Lions, so he coached. Megatron. Uh, you go back to the Seattle Seahawks in 2009. So he was actually here in this building when the Seahawks lost to the Texans in 09. He was with the Jags from 07 to 08. So you want to talk about here in the building before? Yeah, plenty of times. And he was even assistant quarterbacks coach with the Atlanta Falcons back in 06. So that means he helped coach our buddy Matt Schaub. So we'll get into all of it with Robert Prince, who talked about how it was going out of the field with practice. Uh, it's been great to work with these guys. Uh, you know, first of all, those guys, uh, they're very willing workers and, and learners. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to put on a clinic every day with uh, different techniques. Coach, one of the things that has been referred to you as a CEO, the chief energy officer, where does that come from? Why, why were you given that moniker? I mean, we watch you out on the field. We can see the energy. But where does that come from? How, how did that kind of develop for you as a coach to be that guy that has all that energy that kind of raises up the room uh, with that energy, if you will? Well, Shoot, I don't know exactly where it started, but, um, you know, it might have been way back when uh, I was at Fort Lewis College, Durango, Colorado, back in uh, 94 uh, with our staff. It was me. I was the offense coordinator. Gus Bradley was the defensive coordinator. Oh, wow. Uh, Todd Wash was our D-line coach. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we had a pretty good staff and, uh, you know, we had some back and forth and, you know, it was just the way that we uh, – you know, it was just kind of our style and we went some back, we went back and forth and, uh, 
had some good battles, but, um, you know, it's, it's a great profession to be in and, you know, I love coaching and, you know, it, they say every day is a holiday when you love your job and I just go out there and, you know, have some fun. What do you work on with the guys this time of year? And how is that different from what you'll be doing in training camp? Other than the fact that you'll be wearing pads a bit in training camp coach. Well, the thing that's great right now is uh, we can slow things down and really work on our, our fundamentals. And, you know, coach Kelly's a big, big uh, believer in fundamentals. And that's what we're working on. We're working on, you know, from stance and start to the stem of the route, to the breakdown, to the catch and our blocking technique. It's great to be able to take our time and really work on those fundamentals. Coach, we talk all the time about when players go from place to place, they've got to learn a new offense, but coaches sometimes have to learn a new offense too. How is that transition for you in learning a new offense you listen you've been coaching receivers for a long time you know all the routes and all that but how is it learning the new offense the new verbiage and everything that goes with it so that you can communicate it to your players and they learn it as well yeah that's a good point uh, you know a lot of times uh you know there's different uh words for the same things that we've done you know some might someone might call it peanut butter someone calls it jelly you know just gotta just kind of translate it in your head and you know, I say the synapses are sometimes a little bit further apart and then, you know, just got to get used to uh, the terminology. And, you know, just like with the players, uh, coaches got to get used to it as well. Well, this probably happens in a lot of situations. You've coached a lot of good receivers, but here you have Brandon Cooks, who's an established veteran. You also have Nico Collins, rookie coming in. So uh, tell us a little bit about the group and what you see so far in them anyway, coach. Uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, uh, all of them are, are willing learners, including Brandon and uh, the other veterans, uh, you know, just trying to learn the, the fundamentals and the techniques that we're talking about now uh, going forward. And, you know, they're all they're all willing to work. And, and Brandon's, you know, been the leader of the guys. And, you know, when they see him, how he works, they're like, OK, they're going to fall in line. Coach, receivers have all different kind of traits or big guys, small guys, some play in the slot. Some play outside, some step in the backfield. But overall, if somebody came to you, young person said, I want to be a receiver, what would be the one thing you would tell that particular young man or woman that this is what you need to be successful at every single level of being a wide receiver? Uh, number one rule for receiver is to get open and catch the ball. That, that's the main thing, right? I mean, as simple as that. You got to be yep. able to get open and catch the ball. That means a lot of different things to certain people. Uh, if I'm a smaller person, then, you know, I probably need to create a little bit more separation. If I'm a big guy, I might have someone on me and I just can, I'm still open because of my catching radius. So, you know, to, to, to make it in the simplest terms, you know, get open and catch the ball. Right, because when you're coaching a guy like you had Megatron, right, in Detroit, and then you have other guys who might not have that kind of catch radius or that ability, but you want to get the most out of their ability, that's got to be a big challenge as a coach, right? Uh, for sure. You know, like you said, uh, had Calvin Johnson, uh, Hall of Famer, had Kenny Galladay. Uh, mm -hmm. Both those guys were, were big targets. And then I had uh, other guys, Marvin Jones, who was you know a six-foot guy, and I had Golden Tate who was a, a smaller stout, but, you know, very powerful uh, person. Also had Anquan Bolden later in his life. Uh, but that guy, I mean, you can have a guy draped all over him. He was going to catch the ball. Greatest high school player I ever saw, Anquan Bolden, was unbelievable. Coach, last year we, we talked about, you know, the COVID year of 2020, and it was so tough. 
it was hard on so many different people. And I know it had to be hard on, on you guys as coaches. But in the end, how did last year help you become a better coach? Maybe it didn't, but how do you feel like last year helped you overall? Uh, that's a great question. Um, first of all, I, I think every coach in America learned the term Zoom and having a Zoom <laughs> meeting. I mean, I, I've never even heard of that before. And yeah, uh, had to find ways to uh, reach the players and have them engaged uh, over these meetings. Uh, you know, guys had to learn uh, what these Zoom meetings were going to be about. They're, they're not FaceTime calls. They're not just, you know, relaxed atmospheres. Um, they had to treat those Zoom meetings just like they're in a team meeting, you know, sitting at a desk, notepad out, ready to take notes. And, you know, that's where it started from is, uh, you know, you had to start your meetings that way and establish it. And uh, guys were great about it. Coach, a little bit about your background. You were born in Japan, and how much have you been able to get back? I know it's so busy being a coach. Did you coach in Japan? Did we hear that correctly? Uh, yes, I did. So I was, uh, I'm half Japanese. I was born in Japan, lived there till I was seven. So I grew up uh, speaking both Japanese and English. Came to the United States, uh, like I said, when I was seven. Um, really didn't go back until uh, I got a job over there in 96 and i actually coached a uh, a japanese corporate team and we lived there for for two years so uh you know my japanese kind of came back and uh it was a great experience uh, you know my wife got a chance to go and uh, learn japanese and my son was born over there and yeah it was a great experience and then i went back a couple times for um the preseason games when we used to have them over there when i interned with the niners we went back and then yeah. When I was coaching for the uh, Falcons, we had a game over there. How does the corporate team thing work in Japan? Oh, it was great. So basically, it would be like, let's say uh, Ford Motor Company has a team, and they said, hey, John, we want you to play for our team. Um, tell you what, uh, you just graduated. If you come play for our team, we'll start you at this managerial position making this much money. So that's how we got the players. And um, – there were different wow. levels, but uh, it was great. And uh, we got a chance to uh, play over there and uh, we won the uh, corporate national championship. And then what's different over there is they have the corporate team and then they have obviously like their college teams and the corporate champions play the college champion for the national championship. So it'd be like the college champion playing the NFL champion, which, you know, obviously two different levels here, but over there it's uh it was a pretty fair playing field. Man, I can imagine the recruiting stories are nuts. Coach, last one for me. <laughs> How do you say rock and roll in Japanese? Uh, rock and roll? I'd probably just say uh, gambaro or gambate. There you go, Mark. Yeah. There you go, he's Mark. Saying you better that, I, say that, I say that after touchdown sometimes, so that's why he's asking you that, All Coach. Right. Uh, but one more for me. So you were in Atlanta when our buddy Matt Schaub was there as the quarterback. You were assistant quarterbacks coach? Uh, yeah, so um, I was in Atlanta 2004, 5, and 6. Um, mm -hmm. Tell you what, if, if you want a Matt Schaub story, so uh, Matt, <laughs> Matt, I, I love Matt Schaub. So, I mean, I tell this story to this day. So he was great. What, what a great learner. I used to have to, you know, date myself. We used to fax the game plan to the guys Tuesday night. Right. And then so Wednesday morning when they come in, uh, you know, in the quarterback meeting, you could say to 
to Shabby, say, hey, Shabby, um, you know, how are we running uh, Z drive this week? And he said, okay, hey, we're going to go double Z short, or we're also going to run it out of trips. You know, he could tell you either way. You can ask him, hey, what plays are we running out of, uh, you know, trips right, uh, Z short or whatever. And he could just Rolodex in his head, uh, just a smart guy. Um, mm-hmm. There was also a clip where we said, hey, listen, this play, we run this play. If you get two, uh, two man, understand, you got to be your own check down and you got to take off running. And sure enough, I think it was like the third preseason game. Maybe we're playing Minnesota. They play two man. And then he takes off and runs. I'm like, I said, that guy's going to be a good player one day. And he was good for us. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks, guys. There's Coach Robert Prince. And I love that association with Matt Schaub at Atlanta. Coached everywhere in college. And I love that Japan story. I mean, Japanese football teams that belong to corporations. It kind of sounds like the original Rollerball movie a little bit to me. Corporations owning teams, and that's how they settle their differences. Or was that countries in Rollerball with James Conn? I don't know. Dated reference. All right, let's get to Mike Keith next, voice of the Tennessee Titans. Then John Grenard catches up with D.P. Sidhu in the Deep Slant interview. It's all coming up here on Texans Radio. Hoping you're on your way to a terrific weekend. If it's a work weekend, a productive one, I got some tax stuff to do this weekend. That's right. I'm a little bit of a procrastinator. I was on the varsity procrastinating team in high school. Anyway, back to the show here as Mike Keith is the voice of the Tennessee Titans. Now, a little bit about not the Titans, but voices of teams because this applies to me. And we all know what it's about, right? Me. Just kidding around. Anyway, Mike and I are the only two announcers in the NFL who are with the team from the get-go, from that team's inception. Now, I know what you're thinking. The Titans are the Oilers, right? They're the former Oilers. So does that qualify? Hey, that's up to you. And I'm all in favor of you shooting that down, saying, no, he doesn't get to have that distinction. That that would make me the only one because the original voice of the Jags is no longer the voice of the Jags. The original voice of the Panthers is no longer the voice of the Panthers. And you get the rest of it. Let's see, the new Browns. That doesn't count because they're still the Browns. So I might be the only one. But, yeah, the Titans are a relatively new thing, I think, unto themselves. And I just hate thinking of them as the former Oilers, except when it comes in handy for rivalry hatred purposes. Healthy sports hatred. That's it. Anyway, the Titans won the division last year. We all remember that, right? The final game of the regular season. That was kind of painful. And that was the first time they captured the AFC South since 2008. They went 13-3 and that year, lost in their playoff appearance, but that was Kerry Collins at the helm. As a matter of fact, I ran into Vince Young last night, this is kind of interesting because I was with my son at a basketball thing, and he was running the clock, uh, helping out this youth league camp extravaganza, if you will. And Vince was there because his kid was playing. And I introduced my son to Vince Young, and my son, who's 15, said, Hey, Dad, tell him that he's responsible for your most painful Texans memory. And I thought, Really? But I told Vince about the game against the Titans in 2006 here at NRG Stadium. Vince's wife walks up and says, is that the game? where I said, 39-yard touchdown run in overtime. And they kind of cracked up because I just rolled that off. I know exactly the yardage and everything and what happened in that game. And we had a fun moment right there. Vince said he wanted that one badly. Of course, it's his hometown team. And we all remember the history of such. But it was great to bump into him. And he's part of that brothers in arms with Andre Ware and Warren Moon. So 
successful, giving away scholarships for kids. So that was cool to see him. Anyway, a little Titans history for you there. Uh, but they did capture the division for the first time since 2008 when Vince Young was on Titans campus. And we know it didn't go well for them in the playoffs last year. The year before it went much better going to the AFC Championship game. But some changes with the Titans, most notably Julio Jones, now a Titan. So that means you have to deal with him. Lovey Smith's defense is going to have to find a way to slow down Julio Jones in addition to all those other Titans weapons. Derrick Henry, obviously the shining star there. So let's get to our conversation with the voice of the Titans, Mike Keith, who knew that it was an exciting week for him and his fan base. Uh, the last week has certainly been a lot of fun. Um, mm. You're like me. You've been there since the start. So you remember all the great days when the really big things happened. And uh, Sunday, I'm out walking my dogs early. I'm trying to beat the rain. And I'm just swearing I'm, I'm not going to look at my phone for the whole walk. I'm trying to take a little downtime on the screen, right? And so. I get about 80% through the walk, and then my phone buzzes. And then I go a couple more steps, and my phone buzzes again. And by the time <laughs> I've taken 10 more steps, my phone buzzes like 20 times. Well, I've got kids who live on the West Coast. My parents are older. So, you know, you're, you you got to look, right? Yep. Because you're thinking, hey, I've got to be smart. And it says the Titans have traded for Julio Jones. And since that has happened, um. It has been just absolutely wild here because fans are, are just so excited. And it's sort of a cap to a lot of things they've been doing. They, they took some of the offense and let it walk to have money to spend on defense because the Titans defense was poor last year. And now they go get Julio Jones and suddenly the offense is kind of back into focus. So, I, you know. There's, there's some optimism and some excitement here that you usually don't have in the early part of June. Well, what does it mean for the Tennessee Titans? Because we've seen A.J. Brown and what he can do, and he looked like he took a big jump from 2019 to 2020. And as a Texan, I'm hoping he doesn't take another one. Uh, <laughs> but you saw what Tannehill did with him last year, and now you have Julio Jones along with Derrick Henry and the rest of it. What's the attack going to look like, Mike? Well, I, what we saw in the playoff game, which was really what sort of led to, to this is they double teamed AJ Brown and then they put eight guys in the box and said, we are not letting Derrick Henry run no matter what. And Baltimore is so good on defense, they could make that work. And so they knew if they don't get a second option at wide receiver, they're just going to sit on AJ Brown. Everybody's going to do that. Well, now, I mean, obviously this helps AJ. Um, this helps the tight ends. This helps Derrick Henry, and it probably takes some pressure off the offensive line too, Mark. Um, it, it probably means you're going to have a hard time bunching everything up against this offense. And the, the one thing that I learned about Ryan Tannehill that I didn't know was how smart he is. Ryan Tannehill is so bright, and he, he runs so much of the offense himself on the field, making checks, uh, different calls at different times, and – if he sees something is there, I mean, he's happy to hand it off 40 times or throw it 50 times. It doesn't matter to him. He just wants to be successful. Well, now I think he's going to end up, at least on the front end, you would say, having more choices because Julio Jones is, is going to be something that everybody has to allot for whether they like it or not. 
All right, so tell me what Todd Downing is going to mean to the attack, just as far as a philosophy, a coaching touch, if you will. You were singing the praises of Arthur Smith for a long mm-hmm. time. Obviously, Matt LaFleur was there as well. But what about Downing and what he brings to the table as a coach? I think Downing is a lot like Arthur in that he's not married to anything. I, I, I don't think he feels like he's got to do any one thing. He had the relationship with Tannehill – the uh, Arthur Smith sort of style allowed Todd to kind of be his second. And so they worked on a lot of things together. They talked it through. We felt like if if Mike Vrabel was going to stay in-house, it was going to be Todd Downing. He's called plays before in this league for the Raiders. He's, you know, he's worked that tight end position too, where a, a lot of offensive coordinators seem to come from, Mark, because you know, that's really the only position that works the run game and the pass game in terms of installation. So it's, it's really, I think it's just a nice fit to continue doing what they're doing. I'm sure we're going to see some tweaks and I'm sure we're going to see some different things. We haven't seen them in practice yet. I, I couldn't tell you anything major that's different in terms of watching the offense in OTAs, but he's very much in command and, precision is a big part of what he wants, which was also what was Arthur's big stress was precision. He said, if we run something right with the way this game is set up today, by virtue of the rules, we're going to have a chance to be successful. And that's what Downing seems to be about more than anything else that I've witnessed so far. All right. Defensive side of the football. How do you feel about the changes, particularly in the secondary? Very pleased. Um, just didn't feel like we were fast enough in the secondary. We haven't even seen Caleb Farley yet. And, you know, this is a guy who runs in the four twos. So that that's some speed that we didn't have. Uh, we haven't seen Janoris Jenkins yet, but I would imagine we're going to see him soon because, you know, not every veteran's been in for many camp stuff. But we certainly know with his nickname being Jackrabbit, he's got speed. Uh, adding Amani Hooker to play safety opposite Kevin Byard gives us more overall speed. And then there's real good competition overall between several guys for that fifth defensive back spot. So I think we're more athletic. I I think we have the chance to be faster. And that's, that's the goal. The, The secondary just honestly, Mark just appeared to be a step behind last year. And, you know, sometimes you have to sort of reboot and add some better athletes. And I think that's what they've done. Well, we know Shane Bowen here in Houston. He was with the Texans when Vrabel was on the team. So what about him as coordinator? Real happy with how Shane has embraced the fact that he's in charge. The first thing that you see is he's not coaching the outside linebackers anymore. So now he's freed up to walk around the entire defense. Last year, as he was uh, the not named coordinator, he was still a position coach. And so I've, I've seen him with different groups throughout OTAs kind of wandering around and being able to, you know, work with the various positions, talk to the coaches. Uh, he certainly has taken a more commanding role. Vrabel is allowing him to do that. You know, Shane, he's smart. He, he's very disciplined. I, I think especially with having better players than what he had last year, I, I think it's going to work out a lot better for him. I, I like him very much. It was tough to see him get a hard time from the fan base. But I think people now understand, as they've heard him talk in this offseason, that it's a little different now that he has the name beside it, that Vrabel is handing him more. And to listen to him, 
he certainly impressed the fan base that he sounds more like the guy who's in charge. Mike Keith, voice of the Titans, joining us on Texans Radio. What do you think of the schedule, Mike? Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> you know, we knew what it would be like. Doesn't every team say this? You know, you you look at a stretch of it and you say, we played Buffalo and Kansas City, you know, the, within six days. We, you know, we've got, you know, big division games early. Uh, we've got some tough travel late. Uh, we've got the West Coast this year. We're going to go to Seattle in week two. We're going to play Sunday night football against the Rams in Los Angeles, which, as you know, from the travel standpoint, that complicates things because yeah. now you basically lost Monday. Right. And and you're turning around, getting ready for an opponent, uh, getting ready for New Orleans in, the, in our case. So, I mean, it's listen, it's going to be really challenging. And I, I think what we're going to see, too, out of a lot of teams this year, because the cap money has been so tight and the movement has been different. And, and I think you're going to continue to see movement as some vet, veterans who are lower paid are going to jump in and take jobs different places. I think this is going to be a year like last year where we don't really know. I mean, we know Kansas City is going to be good. I get that. But we really don't know everything about the AFC until we get to about Thanksgiving. I, I think much like Tampa took off in mm. early December, I think you're going to continue to see that sort of churn. I, I think a lot of teams are going to look the same for the first 10, 11, 12 weeks of the season. And it's going to be a battle of survival. And it may well be somebody who's seven and five after 12 games is able to make that big run who, if you see them in September or October, you don't think they'll necessarily be able to do it. Listen, we got a lot of new personnel on defense, a lot. Um, getting Julio Jones in June is a good thing because like we got Jadevian Clowney last year on September 6th, that mm. made that whole situation hard. You know, that, that made that difficult to get him in and he was never physically a hundred percent and he didn't quite understand all of the different things they wanted him to do. Well, now you get Julio Jones in June, he may show up for mini camp next week, but he's certainly going to be there for the start of training camp. And I think that's going to be a, a help to this ball club. So I'm optimistic, but I'm also realistic as to what the challenges are going to be. All right, Mike, the division thumbnails start with Jacksonville. Much better. I, I, I think Jacksonville, I, I think very logically they could be nine and eight. Wow. I think that I, I really do. I, I like what they've done. I don't think they were as bad as what everybody thought they were a year ago. Um, I like the quarterback. I think he's a real player. Their schedule is more favorable than probably most because they're playing the last place schedule. They've got the London game, which they're used to doing. Yeah. I, could I see them getting to seven, eight, nine wins? Absolutely. All right. Now, Indianapolis, obviously some changes there. Quarterback, the most notable. Thoughts? Uh, I like Carson Wentz. I, I like what he – you know, we've we've got Ryan Tannehill. And when we got Ryan Tannehill in a trade, everybody said so, right? I mean, they really did. And, and the, the reason was because he had played pretty well in Miami, but he had been no great shakes. Well, I wonder if Carson Wentz isn't going to be Ryan Tannehill. Back with Frank Reich in a system where they have weapons, they can run the football. It's a really good offensive line. Uh, I, I think that's, that's a great fit for them. And for what they paid for him and what they're paying him, 
it's a great move. They they have held off the trigger a little bit in terms of spending money because they've got to pay Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard next offseason. And I, I don't know if you've spent much time with this, but if for all the people who thought they were going to trade for Julio Jones because they have so much cap room, I, I mean, they've got two guys that they have to keep that are probably going to cost them three times as much as what they cost them right now. So they're going to hold tight on some of their money, but they – Watch Indianapolis over the next three months, Mark, because I think there's a lot they can do to continue to add veterans to this roster and make them a better team going towards camp and then going towards the start of the regular season. They also open with two home games, which is advantageous. All right, so from where you sit, how hard is it to get a beat on what is happening with the Houston Texans and what might happen in 2021? It's all about the quarterback situation. I like the moves in terms of adding veteran players. It's very New England-esque. It's something that John Robinson did when he came in here in 2016, and we went from five wins in 2014 and 15 to nine wins in his first year in 2016. Mm. And so I I can see there's a professionalism. There's a know-how. Yes, it's about keeping guys healthy and things of that sort, but it's a really interesting ball club. Mike, always a pleasure to catch up. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. It's great to be with you, Mark. Thanks for having me on. There's Mike Keith, voice of the Tennessee Titans. And, man, when you look at their development here, John Robinson has done a terrific job with them because he took over in 2016. And remember, the Titans were coming off terrible years, 2-14, and 14, three and 13, but Robinson arrives. They don't make the coaching change yet. Mike Malarkey is still there and they go nine and seven. Okay. Remember they beat the Texans last game of the regular season. The Texans kind of laid down a bit in that game, but still they went nine and seven following year. They put together another nine and seven, but this time they go to the playoffs and Malarkey's the head coach, and they beat the Chiefs in the wild card round on the road, but they make the coaching change the following year and go to Vrabel, and they go 9-7, and 9-7, and seven. but we all know in 2019 they went to the AFC Championship game. So they're dealing here under John Robinson, the GM, just take that side of it, with five consecutive winning seasons, had a real big overhaul in 2016. Sound familiar? Following the 3-13 and 13 campaign, so give him a lot of credit for helping turn that thing around. Anyway, next up, it's John Grenard and D.P. Sidhu in the Deep Slant interview. Get to know this Texans pass rusher, former linebacker, now defensive lineman. Let's find out what the story is on Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer with you, Texans Radio. Great to catch up with Mike Keith in the last segment and Robert Prince, wide receivers coach in the first segment. In fact, this program will be on the Texans app soon enough. You can listen to it live right here or on the app later whenever you want to. This segment, we'll hear from John Grenard, Texans, former linebacker, now defensive lineman, really defensive end, likely in that Lovey Smith 4-3. We haven't seen exactly how they're going to line up, obviously, on opening day, but also in training camp, we saw some stuff in OTAs, but they didn't show their hand too much, especially when the media was out there, and I think that's a good idea. Grenard, though, started his college career at Louisville, ended up at Florida. Yeah, you have to say Louisville. The people from Louisville don't like it when you say Louisville. You say Louisville. That's just how you do it, okay? I'm just telling you how it is, all right? Just like the people from Nevada don't like Nevada. Don't ask me. I didn't make the rules. 
Anyway, you'll hear plenty about Grenard. And DP Sudu does these deep slant interviews. She's been doing them for us since she joined the team back in, oh, my gosh, 2013. It's been a while. Does a terrific job. And, you know, she's a great story herself. Sometime we have to do a podcast on DP because she started her career as an electrical engineer or some kind of engineer for Texas Instruments. Yeah, she studied electrical engineering at Purdue and then got her MBA and then worked for Texas Instruments. So naturally, sports reporting was the obvious next step in her career. No, actually, she loved sports always, always wanted to go to radio in high school. I think her parents kind of pushed her into that engineering field, you know, steady living. Gee, what fun is that? Here she is today doing great things for the Houston Texans on TV, radio, writing, all of it. Anyway, let's hear from D.P. Sidhu and John Grenard in the Deep Slant interview. Welcome into the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest, John Grenard. John, I haven't talked to you since the end of last season, but we've heard from you a little bit this offseason, and so much has changed, obviously, with you heading into year two. So new coaching staff, um, a new position, new everything. So let's let's just start there. Let's start with um, everything being so new because you talked about it a little bit um, in your press conference last year versus this year. What were you doing this time last year? And uh, how do you compare it to what you're doing now? Man, it's crazy. Um, this is what, June 7th, June 8th? Yeah, June 7th, June 8th, I was still trying to figure out where I could work out at, honestly. Uh, you know, as you know, COVID just changed everything. So we kind of had to just go with the flow and, and, and do what it was allowed for us. So um, I was still trying to find my ways to work. But overall now, I just feel a huge difference just now having a chance to work out all the way from January now. Um, my body feels more comfortable, feel stronger, feel faster, just feel more better, overall flexible, just feel better as an athlete. Um, and as a person mentally as well. So um, everything just worked out now. Everything's kind of slowly going back to normal. So now I can get back into my regular routine of having my certain amount of workouts, certain amount of meals per day, um, getting training work done on me, stuff like that. So all of that just helps and uh, makes it be ready for when that time comes in, uh, in, in late July. Yeah, you get to do OTAs out there in the Houston humidity and the Houston heat, get your off-season <laughs> program in. What about meeting Lovey Smith? Because now you've actually got to work with him. You've got to work with the new coaching staff a little bit. Um, your right. impressions of him and and what it's been like for you switching to new position at defensive lineman. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, like I said, love is well respected around the game of football, um, not just in the NFL, but everywhere. So he has been an honor. I watched him growing up as a child. So now they're able to play in this, this scheme. And, and I know what they've been about, even back in that historic defense in Chicago. Um, they've been known for turnovers. So now we just got to get to that point. I think that's the huge emphasis now on our defense, you know, just change your mindset and not only win the play, but get the ball back. I mean, that's, that's huge. We can change it. We can change a lot with on our side of the football by just making a turnover, giving that ball back to, to our offense. So um, overall, I'm excited. Like I said, it's a huge honor. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning a lot more, getting deeper in the playbook and understanding how he thinks want to break his mind down to see how he thinks about football um, to help me. So overall, I'm excited. I, I, I love it. Well, you had said that one thing that you wanted to work on this offseason was your flexibility, literally right. being flexible and then also position wise. And and I thought it was interesting because Levy talked about guys that had to make a position change. He said football players mm -hmm. are adaptable. They have to adapt. They have to be flexible. And right. he said that for a lot of players making that change sometimes actually benefits their skill set. And, and you were one of the guys that he mentioned by name that that your mm -hmm. skill set is really is, is pretty perfect for the defensive end in, in his four three system. So. What are your thoughts on that? What makes you fit so well in a system? I know you've played defensive end in the past. This isn't like a right. new position for you, but but what do you think it is about about your skill set that really lends itself to this position? I just kind of work around what I what I feel good at, what my body feels that like it can do um, to put myself in the best situation. Obviously, I got to get a lot stronger, got to get faster always. So it's always room for improvement. Um, but overall, like I said, this defensive end is it's not too much of a difference. Obviously, just to 
to change it up a little bit is going from that uh, three four scheme where I'm playing most time on tight ends and I'm dropping the coverage most times. It's not the, it's not the uh, the case here. Now I'm playing a true defensive end. Now I have to go play on their side of the football, set the edge. You know, go make a play in the back for get a TFL, go get a sack, get quarterback. These things I'm more comfortable. I love to just go after the quarterback. But um, overall, like I said, I just I'm excited to get get started. I mean, getting deeper in this playbook, and we got a lot of competition out here coming for camp. So I'm excited. I'm yeah, you'll be going up against a lot of offensive linemen. So does that mean that at your position you have to put on weight, or will you be playing a little bit lighter? Is that something that um, that you have to, right. to think about? That's the things, uh, it kind of just going based off of what your body is. I mean, I'm naturally me, I'm already about a 270-ish already. Um, I can be at 265, I can drop weight, I can gain weight. That's kind of a thing I've been able to do all my life with uh, just my weight. But overall, yeah, you're right. I'll be playing more down, uh, hand in the dirt, playing against the, the top tackles and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's still football. And in the scheme that we played last year, um, obviously in the 3-4 scheme period overall, um, it's a little different. However, it's football and you're still on the line of scrimmage. And, and most guys will kind of tell you coming from a 3-4 outside backer to the end, it's, it's everything because now you have less coverage responsibility. You really just got to just go and make a play and, and play on the run. Um, obviously, you have, they can switch it up a little bit for scheme to scheme. But overall, now you're a true defensive end and go do what you, you do what you're normally naturally to do. Do you think it makes it easier that you made the switch earlier in your career rather than playing a linebacker for a number of years and then making the switch. Do you think that makes it any easier? Because it really wasn't that long ago that you were playing defensive linemen. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of, like I said, it, it's cool. Um, however, I, I kind of adjust, as you see, I mean, I, I really just, you tell me the scheme, you tell me to play and I, I can go with it from there. So at this point, I just honestly just want to be able to, to be comfortable, uh, just play my own, play my own scheme within the system, obviously, but uh, just be comfortable. And then I think playing defensive end all my life, that, that kind of has made it, to where I can, I'm back in my natural, uh, my natural habitat, you could say. All right. So a lot of things changed in the off season. One thing that didn't change your position coach is still Bobby King. So he moves right. from linebackers coach to defensive line coach. He seems really excited about it, but how much right. has that helped your continuity? He sort of knows what you can do, knows what you do well, knows what, right. where you need to learn and, and where to fill in the gaps of, of your skill set. Yeah, BK is a, I mean, like I said, BK is huge on details. I mean, he's he's very passionate about, he loves the game of football. You can see that from miles away just watching him coach us up. Um, he wants us to be the best type of, not just the best player, but the best person, best human being. And I think that kind of translates in the game just as far as your passion towards anything. I and mean, if you're going to do something, do it, give you all. And I think that's what he preaches us on everything. So, um, yeah, me and BK, we go way back. That's 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 a, that's a good guy. Um, actually, his his cousin was actually our punter at Louisville. So we, we kind of, we got a lot of history. So me and his family are really good. So BK is a good guy. Well, he he had a lot of nice things to say about you as yeah. well. He he said he's expecting a good season, a really good season from you, that you're a no-nonsense kind of a guy. Uh, you're not a follower. You're a leader. And he said, quote, he's going to use his hands. He's going to shock you. He's going to play tough, play violent. So is For that sure. how you would describe your style of play? Hey, man, I, I let the tape do the talking. I can't really do too much right now. But, uh, before, yeah, that's that's kind of like what I want to lead into. I mean, that's, that's the identity you kind of want being in this scheme. Uh, so, yeah. He gave me that title. I'll take it. So just got to put it on the film now for sure. I'm ready. All right. So when you look back at your rookie season, what was your mm -hmm. biggest takeaway? What was the biggest lesson you learned? Because now you've got some games under your belt. You're heading into year right. two. You've got a little bit of experience. What's the right. biggest lesson you take from that? I just got to take everything in stride. Um, it, it, things happen. Everything, as y'all see, every, things happen. And there's some things you can't control. Uh, you just have to go with it and, and, and adjust on the fly. Um, another thing is just to continue to work. Do the same things that you've been doing the whole time and let that let that result speak for itself. Don't, you don't have to put any expectations on anything. Just go with it. I mean, you obviously have your goal and your mission, but overall you just got to go out there and play it and, and keep living. Cause I mean, 
the things that you can't control are always going to happen. So you just got to just take it on the fly and keep going. So that's what I learned the most. All right. You don't have to look for a gym, but you do have uh, about six weeks or so off before the start of training camp. Um, mm. I know you said you're not going to take it too easy. You're going to take a little bit of time off, but what are your plans um, to stay in shape for training camp, to get ready for training camp? How do you plan to use these next few weeks? Like I said, just get back to the workout regimen, um, getting my routine every day. Take a little time off, give your body a break a little bit, but it's it's got to get back onto it. Of course, I want to be in Houston as much as possible um, to get used to this humidity, this heat. Mm-hmm. Having that year up under my belt definitely helped. Having that year in Canesville kind of helped, but at the end of the day, it's still... You kind of never get used to it, but overall, you, you you understand how to how to cope with it and put that to the side. It's all mental. So um, overall, I'm, I'm still going to try to keep my regimen as, as, as routine as possible. So is it worse than Florida humidity, the Houston humidity? Yeah, that's tough. I don't know. Gainesville humidity is different. You know, we're surrounded by that swamp. It's, it's yeah. That's honestly where all that heat is coming from. So I can honestly truly say the humidity and heat wise over there is definitely, I'm not going to say definitely way hotter, but it's definitely hotter over there. Yeah, you. I think you had some good training, but you're about yeah. to get some more in a few months. Oh, it's been. Oh, it, just tune in. We're gonna be all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, always a pleasure, John. Can't wait to see what 2021 brings for you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one, John Grenard with DP Sidhu in the Deep Slant interview. Fun to hear that. Now, some important dates for you to know. Training camps around the NFL basically begin on July 27th. I get a lot of questions about this, but that doesn't mean practice begins on that day. They report. There will be some sort of ramp-up period. Remember, they did have the mandatory mini camps on the schedule. Some teams opting out of that. Some teams did it early. Like the teams that did it early this week, by the way, folks, it's the same thing as OTAs. I mentioned this last night. The difference between an OTA practice and a mini camp practice is nothing. There is no difference. It's not like you can get into the pads for minicamp or anything. It's just that minicamp is mandatory, and some teams had theirs this week just to get it out of the way, and they're off to their summer break. I digress. So they're going to have some sort of ramp-up period, conditioning, all of that. I'm not sure when the first practices actually start and when we will be out there for Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610, 8 to 10 a.m. for the first 10 business days of training camp. I expect it to be late that final week of July sometime, but we'll finalize that soon enough. First preseason game is August 14th against the Green Bay Packers. Now, that's going to be on the road, obviously, and we look forward to that. The preseason games are easy to remember. All Saturday night, 7 o'clockers, Green Bay, the Cowboys on the road, and then the first home game, August 28th, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, every team in the NFL gets that bye week in what was traditionally week four of the preseason. That is actually pretty cool because you get a week to recharge the battery. Teams are preparing for the opener anyway, and it was always awkward to play that final game. I know it takes away opportunities potentially from young players who want to catch on. I always kind of like that fourth preseason game as a broadcaster and some of the storytelling that can take place, but I think they're going to spread the reps out, and those guys will get plenty of opportunities in the three they have allotted. So I don't know anything about joint practice possibilities or anything like that. We'll hear all about that soon enough. Can't wait for the season. Have a great weekend, everyone, and go Texans.